I imagine at one time you were this brilliant little child. As we enter into adulthood, what was brilliant in childhood can actually get in the way of you living the life you want to live. Hello friends, I'm Nancy Houston. I want to help you live a better life. all emotional creatures who sometimes think. And so it's so important that we make this journey from our heads into the depths of our hearts. Welcome to The In-Between with Nancy Houston. Good morning, everybody. It's so great to have you here with us. We are delighted that you are taking some of your precious time and spending it with us today. I have Hector in the studio with us. Amen. Actually, my living room. We don't have a studio. We have a living room. So, Hector, so glad you're here. Always amazingly grateful for you. I love you. I, I love you. Couldn't do this without you. Wouldn't, wouldn't be as fun without you. And I would, like, put on my headphones backwards and do all kinds of super <laughs> awkward things. <laughs> I'll do awkward things anyway because I that can be awkward. <laughs> um, and then we have... A guest today. Hi. John Chastine. Thank you for being here, my new friend, you and your wife, Michelle. Michelle's here, even. I know. Michelle is here with us. She wouldn't come on a mic, but she's here. I know, but I'm just glad she's here. (laughs) That's what matters. Um, Me too. We are becoming friends. We are. Yeah. I've I've heard about John Chastine for, I don't know, what year did you come to King's? 2018. Okay. So since 2018. Yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about you. How do we wait this long to get to know each other? I have no idea. I almost like, maybe I should go back and be a student again. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to do that to be my friend. Thank you. (laughs) That'd be a very expensive endeavor. Thank you, because I've thought long and hard about that. And I'm like, man, I think I'm I'm past. You have Um, enough education. You're uh, good. Well, thanks. I... um, I love to learn, and I always feel like sometimes people call me an expert, and I really hate that because mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I always feel like I'm just in the tre- trenches trying to figure out something, <laughs> and that I never, I never fully get it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I, and I know I never fully get it. If you ever did, I'd be concerned. Like, yeah. People that think they fully get it don't really get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I was reading something in Proverbs this morning that said like, dreamers can think. They know more than a whole campus, a whole college campus of professors, huh. or something like that. What was that? The, and that was, what was that? The, that had to have been the passion translation. It, it was <laughs> the message. It the sounds message. like okay. the passion. Yeah, it sounds like the passion, but it was just like you know, calling out, kind of like know it alls. Mm-hmm. And um, nobody likes a know it all. Nobody, nobody Mm-mm. appreciates a know it all at all. It's it's just um, yeah it's it's icky. It's icky. That's I, a good word for I it. I just can't find another word. It's icky, <laughs> you know. So I've always heard the best things about you, and it always relates to how you treat other people, hmm. and how um, you've been a, like a redeeming leader hmm. at the last place you were leading at, hmm. and I love to hear that because. God, we're living in a world where a lot of people have been hurt deeply by leadership. Yeah, it's very common. It's more common than hearing about a great leader. Yeah. 
Which really yeah, saddens. I think so. Which really saddens me. Yeah, I think we've. I think our <clears throat> culture has become so obsessed with becoming something, yeah. becoming an influencer, becoming rich, becoming whatever. That without really knowing it, we um, railroad people yeah. to build ourselves. We push off, you know. So I'm. I'm. I played basketball through college, and I. I'm six seven. So a lot of times I was down low, right, mm-hmm. um, rebounding. And nothing was a bigger pet peeve to me than when a little bitty five, six guy would yeah. come down in the paint and put his arm on my shoulder and push off of me to elevate himself over me oh. to get a rebound. Oh. And we'd call it pushing off. Yeah. And I think that that's become a part of our culture where, where if we're not tall enough in stature, not a good enough leader, not yeah. wealthy enough, not influential enough, you know, if I can just get on the right podcast, get the right number of followers, get the right conference speaking engagements, just to elevate myself. And yeah. if whatever I have to do, I'll do it. If I got to push off somebody else, I'll push off somebody else. Yeah. And so because of that, we've left a wake of bodies. Oh. You, know? you know, there's a new instrument that I really I took recently um, that describes what kind of leader you are. Mm-hmm. And you're describing the opportunistic leader. Opportunistic leader. Opportunistic. Yeah. Where they will happily climb up your back and step on your head Mm -hmm. to get where they're going. Yeah. And to me, it's so, I don't know, like as a Christian, Mm -hmm. I I always think, but wait, I thought we were supposed to be followers. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I never have ever experienced Jesus as using anyone as an opportunity, right? As my next great opportunity. Yeah. He avoided the crowds. Yeah. He walked away from the attention. Didn't want him, didn't want any part of it. And part of it's our fault, you know, the church's fault, whatever capital C church, whatever we've, we've kind of created Kings. Yeah, we have. You know, we've created, we want a king. We were no different than the Israelites. Israelites were like, we want a king. And God was like, no, (laughs) I want to be your king. You don't know what you're wanting. Yeah. And, (laughs) and, you know, finally God was like, well, give them what they want. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to give them a king. And so we're kind of guilty of putting people on pedestals. We are. You know, well, I think we've had to, I mean, in the last few years, I've realized like, I have to look at myself. Yeah. Like, what about some of that did appeal to me? Absolutely. We're human, right? And it's like, Nancy, that's gross. Yeah. Like, what about you thought that was, were you, was I being opportunistic? Right. Like, you know, people can think, well, if I go to the biggest, best, greatest church, you know, then yep. I'm part of the cool whatever. The click. Whatever that is. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you get in it and then you go, you know, that's kind of gross. Well, it's like we're, we, we want to be accepted. That's our, I'm talking to a psychologist here. Um, You should talk, not me, but don't, isn't that really at the core of who we are as humans? We want to be accepted. Yeah. Well, I think belonging is super big, Yeah. you know, and and the reason why belonging is so vital to our humanity is we actually do regulate each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when I can be nested, hmm. it, it like have really good, safe relationships, mm-hmm. 
then my polyvagal nervous system can calm down. Okay, you just said a really big word there. <laughs> right, I know. And just prove that you're the psychologist I'm and so, not me. <laughs> no, I no, but I I've been studying the polyvagal nervous system lately because. Um, can you tell me what that is, please? It, well, you know, and I'm not even sure I'm that qualified to answer that, but it it's like it lands here hmm. and it goes up into our brainstem, and it goes down to our toes. Wow. It, it's our nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so when our vagus system's been hijacked, then we are hijacked as humans. Mm. So, well. f- for example, if I'm in fight or flight, mm-hmm. then I might look at your face and instead of going, oh, there's John, who's my friend's face, and he mm-hmm. can help regulate me, I might look at your face and go, oh, he looks angry today. Mm. Oh, he doesn't like me. Oh, he's rejecting uh, me. Oh, he's unhappy with me. Oh, I must have done something wrong. Based on cues that you're perceiving in me. Because my nervous system's off, not because of you. Interesting. When my nervous system is okay, has calmed down, huh. then I can actually use you and other people... To self-regulate. To self-regulate. Interesting. And so I think that's why we are living in such an anxious time hmm. I mean anxiety you know this you've been preaching on this yeah anxiety's on the rise depression's on the rise suicides on the rise yep. hopelessness is on the rise I mean it's really I, I mean it's heart-wrenching I'm oh, so, yeah I'm so glad you've been been speaking and addressing depression yeah you know because it's so real and I've really been studying male depression mm. you know we think females have way more depression than males. I don't think it's true. Hmm. I just don't think males have had. We don't talk about it. No. <laughs> males have we no. We don't talk permission. about nothing. No. No. We're closed books. Yeah. And so I think men are suffering in silence. I think so too. And it, I mean, I, you know, I've got a husband I love deeply and dearly. I've got four sons, mm-hmm. got a lot of male friends. And I'm like, it makes me like sometimes just sob to think that men have been socialized Hmm. to hold all their depression inside Mm -hmm. and manage it all by themselves. Don't show weakness. No. Yeah, I was having coffee with a pastor just yesterday morning, and he had listened to my message about Elijah. Yeah. Last weekend, and how Elijah had a mental breakdown, you know, soul crisis, suicidal. And he was sitting in a coffee shop just wailing, oh. like crying, bawling right in oh. front of me. God bless him. It just built up and built up and built up and built up. And, yeah. and I don't even know this guy. I've met him like one time. But, wow. but he knew I was a pastor, and so he felt like he could be. And that's, that's even more compounding for pastors because pastors have to keep our shields up. We're, we're the ones supposed to be put together. Truth is, we're jacked up, <laughs> more jacked up than most else. Um, well, wouldn't it be nice if pastors had permission to be humans. Right. You know, that's why probably you and I share this passion of leadership. Yeah. You know, and I've had a lot of pastors in my leadership groups because I'm like, dude, you have to have some place where you can be human. They're super lonely. Oh, it's so lonely. Most pastors are really, really lonely, yeah. It's horrible. The five years I pastored, Mm -hmm. I got to feeling so lonely. Hmm. I got to feeling so incredibly lonely. Yeah. I hated it. Well, the people that, how do you put it? Um, 
one, you're just giving and giving and giving and giving. And if you're not yeah. receiving, receiving from somewhere, you're going to deplete yourself pretty quick. But also yeah. the people that do come up to you, they want something yeah. or they want to give you advice yeah. or they want to correct you. Or So it's like yeah. you don't get anybody. Rarely do you find somebody that just wants to be your friend yeah. that doesn't need you or want something or need something. Uh, you know, I think that's when I developed such a heart for pastors. Yeah, because it's incredibly hard. And I remember even like saying to like like I had a ton of volunteers I loved, and I'd always say to them, "I am I am so human. Yeah, please just let me be so human mm-hmm. with all of you because mm-hmm. we're close." But a lot of them didn't want me to be human. They wanted me to be more than human. More than human. They wanted me to be extra human. And I'm just like, people, I am not extra human. And so that's why I think it felt lonely because they wanted me to be more than I am. Mm -hmm. You know, and... and It's exhausting to be more than who you are. Oh, oh. I... Where's you out? I just want to say a bad word right now (laughs) because... You know what I really do because it's... How bad? Like S word, F word? yeah, like at least... H word? Yeah, like it's so... Because there's there's variations. I know. I just want to say the S word. That's... That's not that bad. I know. It's... So, yeah. you know, but because it's so, it's so awful, it's, mm-hmm. it's demeaning and dehumanizing. Yeah. And if you're not super careful with it, you can go grandiose with it. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot of leaders go grandiose. Why do you think that is? Do you think, <clears throat> do you think it's because kind of going back to what I said about the Israelites wanting a king, why yeah. do we want a king? Do we, do we want them? A model? Do we want somebody that we can put on a pedestal that we all can hope to achieve to become that someday? Does it make us feel better about ourselves? Why do? Why is it that we put people on pedestals? You think? That's a great question. I love to hear your thoughts on that. What do you think? You're the psychologist. I'm. I'm supposed to ask you hey, hard questions. You're the pastor, so I'm going to ask you the hard <laughs> questions. <laughs> I do, I think it comes back to. Um. It's hard to put a puzzle together if you don't have the box in front of you. Ooh. You know? So oh, yeah. So when my life feels broken, I want to have hope that I can fix my life. Yeah. And if I don't have something to look at to say, maybe my life could look like that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, I don't even know that we do it consciously, but maybe subconsciously, we just kind of project things on people, Ooh. hoping that we can be that or yeah. have a model to to strive after i don't know no it's pretty fascinating to me that i loved your explanation that is spot on and we kind of we've created even the church in general you know not pastor at church but obviously but um we even the way we do church is like think about it we put a a man or a woman on an elevated stage and we're all sitting in a submissive submissive posture while someone stands behind a lectern above us, looking down at us, lecturing us. Yeah. Oh. It just kind of projects this. It's, it's what's really weird to me is like I'll preach and then you see people in the lobby afterwards and they look at you like you're a God. Yeah. It's super bizarre. I'll never get used to that. No. You walk by somebody and they just stare at you. Now maybe it's because I'm six, seven and I have a giant nose. That's possible too. <laughs> But they just look at you like, oh my gosh. Yeah, they do. And it's, it's, I'll, I'll never, I don't want to ever get used to that, but I just think it's weird. And I think it's because you say words that are life changing. Yeah. 
but it's not you doing it. It's the word of God. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It That's penetrates right. to the dividing of soul and, and, and spirit. Yeah. And so it's such a powerful tool that when it comes through your mouth, it changes lives because the word of God never returns void. But for some reason, people project as though you are the one that saved me. Isn't that the truth? Oh, I loved it. I remember listening to an older woman who was like a very popular conference speaker and such. And she'd say once in a while, she'd have like men say, I've just fallen in love with you. And Mm. she'd say, no, you haven't. Mm. You've fallen in love with the Holy Spirit inside of me. Wow. (laughs) You haven't fallen in love with me. Mm. (laughs) You don't know me. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know me at all. You don't know me. My husband gets to know the real me, but you, (laughs) this is some fantasy. It's weird, you know, so when I took over Victory Church, it was on the heels of a moral failure. So Uh not mine, but my predecessor had a moral failure. Yeah. And those were just two or three of the worst, I say worst, most challenging years of my entire life. I bet. And, you know, people would, had been going to that church for 20 years. He was the founding pastor. And so people would come up to me, you know, why can't he come back? Why can't, why can't? And they would say things like, he changed my life. Yeah. This man changed my life. And and I say that just to say that it kind of gives you a glimpse into the, the impact that a pastor has on a person spiritually. And for some reason, we equate spiritual transformation to some sort of a weird, um, idolistic, like the pastor becomes yeah. an idol. Yes. And yes. And so what we do is we create narcissists. And the pastor, if you're not careful, if you don't have your guard up, I mean, when Jesus got attention, he was quick to deflect and and withdraw. Yeah. Like, he refused to receive that, you know, even though he was God, he had every right to, but he he would walk away from it. And I think over years and years and years of big stages, great sermons, accolades, 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 followers, followers, followers. It just penetrates a pastor's soul mm. over time to where, you know, you just you just you can't help but absorb that. I'm guessing. I don't know. I'm speculating. Um, no, I I think you're right. I mean, and then not everybody. I know pastors that have been pastoring for thirty years that pastor some of the largest churches in America. Who, yeah. in my opinion, have some of the purest hearts, most humble. Yeah. So so yeah. I don't know what the formula is. I I don't either. You know, but well, don't I think. This is where I love to focus, like in the leadership groups I do, I, I like to focus on if you can lead yourself well, you can lead you you might have a chance of leading others better. Mm, that's really good. Right? Yep. So I'm always constantly like, How are you leading you? Mm-hmm. Are you getting caught up in grandiosity? Yep. Because that's a danger zone, my friend. Yeah. I remember when I was on staff at a church and I'd go to Central Market just buying groceries, right? Yep. And, you know, I'd have like Four or five people come up and say, oh, my gosh, this thing you taught changed my life. And I remember leaving there one day and getting my car, and I'm like, I don't think that's good for me. Mm -mm. I I don't think that's good for me. I think I need to leave. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because what if that, like, I mean, we all have to realize we're so susceptible to every seduction. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, big time. Yeah. And I'm like, this feels like some sort of creepy seduction. Mm. And I don't want to just accidentally like drink any Kool-Aid. I'm not saying, uh, listen, 
when I say that, I'm not saying I I ever thought I was so great. It was just some, yeah. you know, some person, some central, no, not a big deal, right? Yeah. So I can't imagine. Well, it's intoxicating. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right? It's an, it's an intoxicating feeling. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be. We do. You know, and when someone accepts us, it's, and, or rejects us. Rejection is, yeah. is such a massive impact oh, on people's gosh. lives. Massive. So it really kind of goes down to the core of who we are. Exception yeah. or rejection are two of the most, one's intoxicating and one is just completely debilitating. Oh, it's so debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I shared the story with you a little bit, but in 2005, I was diagnosed with lupus mm-hmm. and, um, I, you know, I've done a lot of therapy and done a lot of work on my childhood stuff, but there's just been so much rejection hmm. and it is soul crushing and it affects your body. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And um, I love that you're doing this series on attempting to help people connect their body, soul, spirits. Yeah. It's hard, especially as a pastor, because I'm not a doctor or a psychologist. But it's fascinating to me, um, yeah. all of these connecting points. Yeah. How, how everything's, con- oh, wow, that just made this couch really, really Hey, do you, really want, an, do you want one of these pillows? Here. No. This do you is, want a smaller this is one? good. I was oh. just sitting wrong. Oh, okay. okay. I'm so sorry. Well, no, I know you're tall, so... I, I have to put a pillow behind me because I, otherwise I might not reach the floor. I thought it was just a little bitty, tiny, weird little pillow. I and know. when I moved it, I realized that is the that support is. system of the entire couch. <laughs> so we could probably spin that into a great leadership We talk. probably could right now, but we, we, we'll resist. <laughs> I removed a pillar. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, maybe it is the pillar of humility. Maybe so. I don't know. People ask me all the time, how do you stay humble? And I say, uh, I don't really know. I know that I have a wife that keeps me humble. Yes. She's right here. Yes. Right. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. hey, babe, how was my sermon today? She's like, mm. eh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, okay. But it, it, thank God we have, you know, somebody to slap us around a little bit. Yeah. Somebody it, that sees you yeah. pick your nose. I don't mean <laughs> literally slap you around, but... But I mean, like, hey, dude. You're I'm, not that big of a deal. I know how human you are. You're not you that big so of a deal. You are so freaking human. Let me remind you uh-huh. how human you are. Because, uh-huh. you, you know, shame does one of two things to us, and we see this all the time. And we either go up with grandiosity or we go down mm-hmm. with I'm, I'm less than. Mm-hmm. And neither one, of that, neither one of those are healthy, helpful responses. I think a lot of leaders go into leadership carrying tons of baggage yeah and so so you know i think some of the most successful leaders i've ever met what actually got them to their um, position of whether they become a big-time pastor or a big-time ceo or a big-time whatever part of what got them to that was their unhealth oh i get so for example if somebody had massive father wounds yeah and so they 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 have this inner inner vow of mm-hmm. I'm going to prove mm-hmm. that my dad was wrong. Yeah. My dad told me I'm a loser. I'll never amount to anything. And so yeah. and a negative rejection from a father could actually project you into success, but it was done from a, a wound. Totally. You know? Totally. Have you had a personal wound that has helped you become a better leader? I don't know. You know, I wrote I wrote that book. Um, 
I wrote a book called Half the Battle that talked oh, about inner. I haven't read that. Oh, you haven't? I didn't know that. I'll have to one. read it. It's about inner wounds and inner healing and reject. I wrote a whole chapter on rejection. Yeah. And, um, and um, so anyways, I, I was on a podcast one time and this counselor was asking me, you know, what gave you, how did you write that podcast? What wound did you have? What yeah. They just assumed that since I wrote a whole book about how to escape it and get yeah. out of it. Yeah. I was like, you know, I, I'm sure I've had wounds. I'm not saying that I've never had anything happen to me, but yeah. my dad was a pastor. My mom, I, I, I don't, I don't carry a ton of baggage. Like yeah. if I could be half the man my dad is, Aww. I would be massively successful. Aww. My dad, my dad pastored tiny churches, 100 people, 150 mm. people. So it's part of the reason why I never wanted to be a pastor. I just saw how hard my dad worked. Yeah. <laughs> That's a real pastor. Like, I'm not a real pastor, mm. right? I lead people and preach and mm-hmm. do a couple of hospital visits and do a couple of funerals here and there. And yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not discounting what I do. It's important. Yeah. But, man, people that pastor 100 people, 150 people, 200 people, 300 people, those are real pastors. Yeah. Like I watched my dad do that. Buried everybody, married everybody, yeah. every hospital visitation. Yeah. Saturday nights, we didn't have Saturday night church. The family was at the church cleaning toilets. Yeah. Like all of us, me and my two siblings and my parents. Like wow. to me, that's really shepherding. And so yeah. um, uh, my parents weren't perfect, but they were pretty darn close. Aww. Pretty darn oh. close. I love that, yeah. John. I love that. God set you up like that. That's think, really sweet. I think my biggest wounds have been, um, have been just experiential in in ministry. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. There's plenty of people. Those. That, I mean, it happens. It's a, it's a Tuesday in ministry. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But but some of the big big shaping things for my leadership has been I've probably learned more by being under poor leadership than I have been under good leadership. That's true. Isn't that true? (laughs) It shaped me better than anything. Like I will never treat people like that. I will never do that. Uh I will never say that. And and that kind of shaped me more than anything. Yeah. Probably. The suffering that you experienced under poor leadership. Yeah. Yeah. It really can shape us. It can be a huge gift Mm -hmm. because it can. It's painful. It can be yeah, so painful. But you know, when I'm in seasons, seasons of suffering, and I think this because I'm, way older now mm-hmm. and I've learned that suffering is actually one of my greatest teachers. Wow. You know, and yep. so I always pray like, God, the suffering sucks. Yep. I'd really like to be over. Yep. And please don't waste the suffering. And may yeah. I not waste the suffering. Yeah. <laughs> right? When I was when I when I first became lead pastor, man, we were just bleeding out. And people were leaving. Giving was down. It was hell. Mm-hmm. And I read this book <clears throat> during that season from uh, my friend Sam Chan wrote it. Uh, mm-hmm. It was called Leadership Pain. Aww. And he it, it, it was such a great book for me during that season. Wow. Um, talks about, you know, never trust a leader that doesn't have a limp. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he doesn't call it leadership. He calls it bleedership. <laughs> oh, that's Because you're going to bleed. You're going to bleed. Bleeding makes you a better leader. I've, I've got a few... Leadership things I'm bleeding on a little bit now. Yeah. Uh-huh. All the time, probably. Most time. Yeah. There's a few. Like, hmm, h- how do I lead here? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Where do I need to grow me as a leader right this minute? Yep. Huh. What is that saying to me about where I'm, I've dropped the ball? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like absolutely. this constant 
like I try to let the leadership challenge that I experience really challenge me. Mm-hmm. And where is my growth in this? Mm-hmm. It's real easy to go, God, I'm so annoyed with you. Or to be the victim. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, here's the danger about a victim stance. Oftentimes we victimize from a victim stance. Hmm. You know, Tell we, me more about that. Well, you know, we can feel victimized, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then if if that becomes our stance, yep. then eventually we'll start victimizing those around us. Hmm. You know, it's, yeah. it's just how it rolls. It reflects back onto them. It totally does. Yeah. Because we've taken a stance. Now, I think we go through seasons where we've been victimized, mm-hmm. right? And, and sometimes the first step to healing is go, man, I've been victimized. Like, yep. admit it, right? Yep. You kind of have to be a victim before you can be a survivor. Mm-hmm. And so I remember a therapist telling me that because, mm. you know, I, w- I needed to work through some, like, sexual trauma, and I'm like, mm. I am never being... <laughs> I can be a stubborn little thing. I'm like, I can be, I can't be, I got some fight in me, you know? <laughs> and um, I uh, would say, man, I'm not, I'm not a victim. Mm. I'm no victim. Mm. And my therapist just said, hey, Nancy, mm. or you're going to have to admit that you're victimized. That you actually were. Yeah. That you were victimized. And and then we'll start working. Because victim, victim is such a... Uh, minimizing word like yeah. i don't want to minimize i know maybe minimize it in the word um the right word well i think it's it makes it, me, like you're admitting yeah i I'm, felt totally disempowered that's right i had that's no power it. over yep. that situation and none of us like to feel absolutely <laughs> like you i lose control no freaking power of that yeah and i think that was it for me i wanted to have a sense if i had some power and he's like hmm. did you wow i'm like no wow <laughs> you had to come to that place first and then uh-huh then heal i did from there yeah i mean that was you know what wow 30 years 40 years ago and i still remember it wow like he really challenged me like no yeah you were a victim hmm. and we're gonna have to deal with that first hmm. i'm like oh man okay oh, shoot yeah oh shoot <laughs> oh shoot hey you know what but that's i think that goes back to what you're saying is we as humans don't like to feel disempowered. Yeah. And maybe that's why we like powerful leaders. Yeah. Because then... The security blanket for I us. I can look at you and transfer some of my insecurities onto you, and you look powerful, and you look like you're in control, and you look like what you know what you're doing, mm. and that makes me makes feel me better. Makes me feel better. Yes. I think that's why we like it. That's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like love addiction. Yeah. We transfer all these longings and desires and how you're going to be the ideal lover. We transfer that onto other people, hmm. you know. And then when they disappoint us, we have Ooh. false. We set false expectations, and Ooh. then whenever we don't, when they we don't, when they don't meet our expectations, then we crucify the leader. <laughs> oh. Canceled. Oh, or we crucify the person where who was supposed to be our love object, you mm-hmm. know. And, like we demonize them, we change the narrative. Mm-hmm. They say one of the solutions for love addiction is just appreciation. Yeah. Really? Just, just appreciation. Like, just uh, yeah. be content. Yeah, right? Be thankful in all things. Right? Like, even with our leaders, like, what if we, like, he, she, they're just so human. 
God, thank you. They're so human. I appreciate that. I appreciate their humanity. I mean, I think that's what Jesus was trying to do. Mm. Like, show us that he was fully man. Mm. You know, just fully man. He got got hungry. He got tired. I think he got tired of people. (laughs) I think he got tired of peopling. That's why he would withdraw. Right? Get away from these crazy people. Right? He'd go take a nap. I feel like he was an introvert. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I'm making this up on the fly, but I feel like he was, you know, an introvert that can go out and and minister, but then he's got to go and recharge. I because he would go recharge. I think that's health. Yeah. Like right, like I I love people. I'm super extroverted, but yep. man, if I don't withdraw and mostly collect me, mm-hmm. and like okay, Nancy, where are you at? Mm-hmm. How's your soul? Uh, what do you need to get filled back up? Yeah. And usually I just need to withdraw hmm. for a while. And then I might need to connect with a few safe people who are part of my nest. Hmm. You know, like my hubby. Like, we can just hang. Like, last night we were just here sitting on the couch together, snuggling up, watching a podcast. And I'm like, oh, that's my nest. Oh, He's my nest. <laughs> you know? And that's we're awesome. listening to somebody say, I think Jordan Peterson said something like, First time I'd really listened to him. Well, well, I read one of his books, but he's he was saying, "Yeah, we need somebody who like kind of slaps us up alongside the head." And I kind of tapped my husband on his head. You know, glad I could help you. Right, and he did the same to me, and I'm like, "Yeah, we're you know, right? We keep each other honest, man. <laughs> it's so it's so good for us. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love it too. <laughs> so I I think Jesus was trying to say. Stop trying to be superhuman. Yeah. I got hungry. I got tired. I got sick of people. Yeah. I I let the disciples down. You know how disturbed the disciples were that they're out there in the middle of that boat and there's a storm and he's sleeping. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm fine with letting you all down. Mm. I'm fine with disappointing you. Mm. You did it with Martha, Martha and Mary with Lazarus. Oh, yeah. I'm right. fine with disappointing y'all. Yeah. Yeah. And... So, how might that change leaders if they knew, like, I, I mean, I remember. If there Henry, wasn't pressure. Yeah, if, well, I heard Henry Cloud years ago. I, you know, I worked with John Townsend for years. And so, you know, I'd hear things from Henry, too. And Henry said, man, if you aren't disappointing somebody every day. Wow. You aren't leading. Wow. And so, lately, I'm trying to grow myself in that because mm. I I can be a notorious people pleaser. Me, man, I'm guilty. Ah, guilty as charged. It is my number one stickler. Yeah. It's my number one saboteur. Yeah. If Nancy's going to sabotage herself in some way, mm. it's going to be pleasing and achieving. I'm, I'm guilty of that. Ah. Is my wife nodding her head yes behind me? She's smiling. She's smiling. She's a knowing, wifely smile. <laughs> it's adorable. I've gotten better at it. It's like I've become, this is going to sound terrible, but it's like I've become... Um, what's the word? More not jaded. Jaded. I don't know. Ministry yeah. has yeah made me withdraw more. Yeah, pull away, and yeah. maybe maybe there's a certain health to that. You do that too much, it's it's very unhealthy. But yeah, but I think I think I'm becoming better at not being a people pleaser. Yeah, is she nodding her head no behind me now, or no, is she still she, she's still smiling? Is she's okay. pretty still right? Okay, in this just moment. making sure. She's okay. kind of she's kind of like neutral a little bit. I used to be like, <laughs> I'll, okay, I'll tell you a story. I wrote about this earlier on my Reader um, 
deal. So I used to be, when, when, when I first took over the church, people were leaving left and right. And so anybody that wanted to have coffee with me, I would go. Mm. Any email that came into the church, I would reply to it. I'm like, please don't leave. Please. I was just, yeah. hundreds of people leaving the church. Oh, and yeah. I would just constantly be trying to keep people from, from leaving. Yeah. So um, Jimmy Evans calls me one day. Mm. And he says, um, hey, I was praying for you, John. And I feel like I have something the Lord wants to share with, with you. And I said, okay. And he said, um, <clears throat> now, Jimmy, all of his analogies for me were very crass, disgusting. Okay, so yeah. I'll just set up yeah. your audience for this. Yeah. But he would say, hey, John, when you eat, <clears throat> your body will automatically absorb the nutrients and vitamins that it needs. Yeah. And then your body yep. excretes the rest. Right. It, right. it pushes it out, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he said, he said um, your church is a living organism. Mm. and there are people that come and people that go, and you don't get to decide who you pastor and who you don't. Wow. And he said, and they come to serve the body of Christ, mm. and we're not calling people crap. Mm-hmm. That's not my message here. It's not no. the analogy. But yeah. he said, your body, your church is a living organism, and some people will come, and they will bring nutrition, they will bring vitamins, they will bring resource, gift, talents, anointings to your church. Yeah. And the body has a way have of flushing out people that need to go on somewhere else. Yeah. And he said, he said, John, let me ask you a question. Have you ever reached down in the toilet and picked up <laughs> what's in there and ate it again? <laughs> and oh, I said, uh, Jimmy, no, thanks. Jimmy, I can't say that I have for that visual. <laughs> he said, you know why? He said, because there's nothing nutritious in that. Oh. And he said, every time you chase down somebody who's trying oh. to leave your church, yeah, yeah, you're you're trying to force something back into your body wow. that your body is saying it's time to move on, and it was just like, okay, the people pleaser in me. Yeah. For some reason, I took it personal, and I think that's the key for me. I don't know if it's for you, but it is for me. Like, I take it personal, and really, at the at the core of it for me is is what the Lord showed me several years ago was an orphan heart. Yeah. That, you know, orphans have no home. They have no parents. Yeah. And so an orphan has a longing to belong. Yes. And, you know, if if we were orphans at an orphanage and the the director of the orphanage came up to us and said, hey, um, Nancy, today there's a family coming to, they want to meet you. Mm-hmm. Now go put your best shirt on and, yeah. your, and fix your hair. Yeah. And if you act right and speak right and look right, they might love you. And so what the Lord showed me is that the core of my people pleaser was an orphan mm. that I haven't had an orphan heart. Yeah. I don't like to call it an orphan spirit. Cause I, th- I think yeah. spirits become this thing that, well, yeah. it wasn't my fault. And if somebody just lay hands on me, they can cast it out. No, it's, it's no. your own heart. It's yeah. your own jacked up yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so God began to show me that I, I operated many times as an orphan. I was mm-hmm. so obsessed with what people thought about me. And if I act right and speak right and, and be perfect, then maybe they'll accept me. Yeah. Maybe they'll love me. Yeah. And, the only way to to fix that is to know the Father's love, to mm-hmm. know that I'm a son, that, you know, when Jesus was baptized, his, fa- his father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, mm-hmm. before he ever did anything. He hadn't done a single miracle. He had, he had accomplished nothing. And so I, I don't know about you, but for me, my, the core of my people pleaser was this, but what if, and if I don't, and then they're yeah. going to think this, and then yeah. this, and this, and that. And I was like, well, well even if they do. 
you know, even if I don't reply to the text in 10 minutes and even yeah. if I don't reply to that email and even if I don't yeah. go to lunch with every single person in my church and they get mad and leave the church. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure I'm still mastering that one. <laughs> I'm, I, me neither. I mean, I mean, I, thank you for sharing that story. It's such a, I think it's such a relatable story. And, and that, you know, I came from all this violence. Mm. So for me, pleasing could feel life and death. Wow. You know, wow. like if my dad walked in and I could tell he was agitated. Wow. I would run to my room and clean my room. Are you serious? Oh, man. So yours more has more of a fear base. Oh, it, it was terror. Wow. Terror. Or I'd say, Dad, lay on the couch and I'll rub your feet. I'd try to soothe and smooth Wow. Him. And so, you know, like me not pleasing somebody hmm. would, f it was so wired into my nervous system hmm. that I had to realize like this feels like life and death for me. And so I had to go back and do some wow. grief work around that. Like, like take that little girl in my lap and say, mm. sweetheart, honey, mm. I'm so sorry mm. that you felt like the only way to save your life was to please and to achieve. My gosh. And so like if he came home, my brother wasn't there and it was mm. dinner time, I'd run down the street and find my little brother trying to protect him from a whipping, mm. you know? And then of course my dad would, pull down his pants, take off his belt, crack the belt, mm. whip him, and then say to me, if you cry, you're next. Well, wow. I'm a crier. I'd always wow. cry. I'm like, damn tears. Can't wow. control my tears. And so, you know, I, I, it was so visceral in it's, my nervous It's so system. funny how I could manifest the same way. Yes. We're both people pleasers. Right. Mine comes from an orphan. I need to belong. I need to be accepted. Yeah. Yours came more from a fear. Yeah. Terror. Wow. Yeah, I'd say it was beyond fear, it's terror. That is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And like like you said, you came from a home where you felt loved and yeah. your parents were good people. And yeah. you know, I come from a home of terror. Gosh. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we kind of end up in the same place. Yeah. I think some of it I could be wrong here. Probably not, but I, go ahead. I could be wrong here. <laughs> I think too many times we've looked through the lens of patriarchy hmm. instead of through the lens of what was God's design before the fall? Mm -hmm. Patriarch patriarchy requires um, you to please. Absolutely. Homage, uh -huh. respect, and bow it, down. Uh -huh. Yeah. And it serves those at the top mm -hmm. of the heap. It's a hierarchy. And so any humans beneath the top of the hierarchy mm. are learning, get in line, mm. do what you're told, look good, do it right, please, mm. and achieve to make us look good. Mm. Yeah. And a few years ago... I was, I don't know, I was the therapist for some sort of retreat, and a coach was there. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting at the table talking, and he goes, Nancy, what do you want? And <laughs> I, I had one of my moments where I kind of like pounded my fist on the table. Yeah. And I said, I am sick and tired of giving away my gifts and talents wow. to men at the top. 
<laughs> That's good. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to stop it. Wow. And so he worked me through an immunity to change map, which is something I use with my 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 leadership groups. Mm. And the first question is, what do you want? Wow. I can. You're supposed to state it in a positive way. All mm-hmm. I could say is like, I say need, it. Yeah. I know what I. What do you want? I am <laughs> sick and tired of this. Like I have spent my life doing this. Wow. Spending serving men at the top because I'm terrified if I don't, I won't survive. Which feeds right back into your childhood. Yeah. Fear from the top. Yeah. From the man at the. At my the house. dad was at the top of the pyramid of mm-hmm. patriarchy. Absolutely. You know, he's he's a judge. He's a city attorney. Was he really? Oh yeah, he makes money. He, we live in a town, but he kind of like dominates the town. Wow. You know, and he's president of the Elks Club, and hmm. you know, we st- <laughs> we go on vacation and. Mom and the kids would sit in the car for hours while dad go inside and get drunk. Wow. And, you know, it's BPOE. <laughs> so, I'd, mm. you know, I had to entertain myself. So wow. we um, biggest pigs on earth. <laughs> Didn't have an iPad or nothing. The acronym for BPOE. <laughs> what is the biggest pig on earth? The biggest pigs on earth. Because <laughs> he'd just go in there and we'd sit in the car for two, three hours and Golly. I'd say to my mom, I'm going in to get him. And she's like, no, you're not. You will not move. Like, wow. Couldn't get out and play in the parking lot. And I'm like, I'm walking to the beach. And she's like, no, you're not. You're sitting in the car. And, Gosh. you know, it was this whole patriarchal system huh. where women and children had no voice. Wow. I think that's why I love, I've probably read the book of Ruth a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it's a book on female agency. Wow. You know? Yep. And, and then it takes me always back to, you know, the first couple of chapters of Genesis yeah. where male and female yeah. are made in the image of God. Yeah. And that ideally, imagine if male and female were serving and we're on mission together mm. in the kingdom of God. Yeah. How much more could we accomplish? Oh, because I don't think men are ever going to accomplish what men and women can accomplish. I don't yeah, ever think I agree. women will accomplish what women and men can accomplish. Yeah, I agree with that. I love to surround myself with, like, Hector, smart young men. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I know they're going to bring things to me that... That we would miss. I don't... I don't possess. Yeah. Like, I love listening to the wisdom of my husband because I'm like, dude, you've got things I just don't. Mm. And you're going to make me a better human. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, I've looked at the church. I'm like, man, this is like a single parent home. Wow. That's <laughs> so good. I had on my, my the podcast I used to do, um, I had uh, Chuck DeGroat on. You know him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, he wrote when narcissism I mean, I comes don't to know, church. Know him, yeah, but, but I you know, know of him. Yeah, when narcissist oh, when narcissism comes to one church. One of my favorite books. And it was fascinating that yeah. he he talks about how obviously narcissism is rampant in all industries, but yeah. but the uniqueness of it in church. Oh, it's, because you yeah. he talks about how it's like the perfect um, storm. <clears throat> atmosphere storm for. Um, narcissism because you add the component that isn't another industry and that's spiritual mm-hmm. power spiritual yeah. and you know when somebody gets up and says the lord said I know. like what do you what do you say i mean there's no there's no it's word. the ultimate totally. conversations over yeah. <clears throat> i had a um 
a faculty member at TKU that told me this one time that I think I agree. He was a theologian, so I'm not going to disagree with him. But he said he said he sees two forms of leadership in the in the Bible. In the Old Testament, you have um, kind of an Old Testament model where Moses goes up to the mountain by himself yeah. to hear from the Lord, and everyone else has to stay down. No one else can come with him. Uh, one man is going to go to the mountain mm-hmm. and don't even touch the mountain because yeah. you'll die if you touch the mountain. And then he comes back down, and, and it's a thus saith the Lord kind of moment, right? And then he says in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you see a group of, of people that, I think it's in, I think it's in 16, 15, one of those chapters, where, it's, where they say, it seemed good to us, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And you see this, this collaborative style of leadership yeah. come on the scene, where it's like, we're going to try to get away from this hierarchy of, yeah. of one, one person says the Lord said and everyone else. And I'm not saying that that's Old Testament. I'm not saying that that's wrong. Um, and he, his point was, as a theologian, I'm not saying one's better than the other. He was just simply saying there's two forms of leadership. Yes, there are. I think, I think the New Testament is better. Uh-huh. Um, it's the way I choose to lead. I'm very, yeah. I'm, I'm very, very relational leader. Yeah. I want a group of people. Yeah. I truly believe that there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. I do too. Now there, you know, there may be moments where they look to me and I need to make a decision, yeah. but I want to sure. lead. I want to lead relationally. Oh man, know? I do too. I remember when our sons were teenagers and like they blew curfew, you know, right? Are you listening to Michelle? Cause <laughs> this happens to our daughter frequently. So we're going to lean in here. And so teach us, I'd say, my husband would conk out, so I'm the one who'd wait up. <laughs> She's nodding her head, yes. That's me. I, I confess. He conks out. Yeah. And so, you know, it's 12, 10, <laughs> and curfew was 12. And they come strolling in, and I'm waiting. And I'm like, hey, super glad you're home. Mm-hmm. And go on up and go to bed. And in the morning, when you come down, I want you to bring three consequences with you for breaking curfew. That's a good idea. Right. And so, you know, the first one would be super lame. like yeah. Skip breakfast the one, one morning. Uh, you, you're right. Something really <laughs> dumb. I'm like, eh, what, what else you got? You know, and then the second one, oh, that's better. Like, give me the third one. And, and, you know, like, well, I could give up my car keys for... A week, dude, you're brilliant. I love that one. I <laughs> okay, love that one. babe, please write those down. That's right. that's brilliant. You know, because it's like I I wanted to empower them. Yeah. And realize, you know, and that's what you're talking about. That that's yeah. I don't want to get too you know, but that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Is like instead of flying off the handle, yelling at them, right? Becoming, yeah. you know, like now I'm the dictator. But like, mm. I want to I want to empower everybody around me, mm. and use. I think the best kind of power there is is soft power, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm using it for the good mm-hmm. of everyone, including myself. Right? Yeah. Like I think I used to want to empower to sometimes the detriment of me, mm-hmm. but I'm like, how do I empower where it's good for you and it's good for me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where David said to Saul, listen, um, I'm going to honor my life like I honored your life today. 
Yeah. You know, because David could have killed him, but he didn't. Yep. And he's like, but I'm going to honor my life too. Yep. And so I'm not believing your manipulative lies anymore. Mm. And I'm going to go a separate way. I'm not going home with you. Mm. You know? Yep. And I'm like, wow, imagine That's how really good. healthy we could be as teams. Yeah. As humans in our marriages, in our churches, if we could come to a place of realizing your life is a gift, my life is a gift. Yeah. And how are we together going to like reflect the image of God of this world? Yeah. You know, how can we do that effectively? Yeah, when I came to TKU, two of the two of the people on my cabinet president's cabinet were women and I had never really led women in leadership teams before and um, it took me about two weeks to realize that they were the smartest people on my team Mm. (laughs) they just you're right you're so right we're just we just we fill each other's weaknesses yeah we do right and and we're just so sharp on details men suck at details we're terrible at details usually well there's just some things Females have been more, uh, let me see, females have been socialized hmm. to attune to some things that are very helpful. Yep. Men have been socialized to not tune into their emotional EQ all that well. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that all men don't because there's men that are inc- have incredible EQ. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But as a culture, yeah. they've typically been trained we've been like, trained not to yeah like suck it up yep. get over it yep, move on and i think a lot of emotional intelligence is first of all pausing and like what am i feeling right now mm-hmm. what am i experiencing mm-hmm. and then i can go from there one of the things that i really learned from from these women um one of them's dr Rhonda davis uh she i ended up making her my executive vp she was brilliant wow. and she told me something that really made me understand what it must feel like to be a woman in leadership. Mm-hmm. And she told me this story about um, a, a circumstance where, not just a circumstance, but every time. She says, John, you don't understand. When I'm, when I'm invited to a table as a woman and it's a leadership role or it's a meeting or any, anything like that, she said, I've been asked to take minutes before by someone when I'm equals with them. Yeah. You know, or could you get the coffee? Yes. Right. And then she, she said, she said, what, what I have to walk through in my mind before I speak, she goes, do you think before you speak? And I go, rarely, I just talk. I just, she goes, as a woman, I have to, before I, I know exactly what I'm going to say, but before I say it, I have to pause and say, if I'm too aggressive, I'm the power hungry woman in the room. If I'm too soft, then I'm useless. Useless. Absolutely. So she says, I'm always trying to find my inflections, my timing, how long I talk. Um, and I was just like, I have never wow. stopped to think about that at all. Because as, wow. a, as a male, particularly a white male, particularly a six feet, seven yes. inches white male, yes, I just talk yeah. and I just lead. Yeah. And if I'm not careful, I can my voice becomes the loudest in the room. Absolutely. And so it just gave me a really great perspective to see from a woman's seat what it feels like to be in the yeah. same room, in the same meeting, with the same authority in some senses. Wow. But she has to completely approach that meeting differently. 
And how much more emotionally exhausting that has to be. Oh, you know what? She is so spot on. I yeah. love it. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Always. Yeah, you've been there. For me, I remember one meeting I was in and one of the executives brought up, he, he asked me, I'm like, dude, why are you asking me? Mm-hmm. He said, so Nancy, what do you think about female elders and you know. Uh oh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm in a room of male pastors and he's asking. I think I'm one of two women in the room. <laughs> and so yeah, I'm doing the whole okay. How do I say it? How and it was in relationship to something about, well, no, I tied I made this connection. And I said, Well, here's where I am a bit confused, mm-hmm. if if I may add this. I said I personally have no desire to be a female elder. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is a bit confusing because we have many women in our body who lead at very high levels. Mm-hmm. And yet we are not invited to the table yeah. even to have a voice. Yeah. And I said, so here's something I'm a bit confused about because here we are the keepers of some of Jack Hayford's treasures. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that Jack always had female leaders mm-hmm. and was very empowering of those. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. I'm, I haven't been able to put together some of the incongruencies I, I experienced. That's here. a great answer. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, this may be my last day here. <laughs> but, how, but how, you know, <clears throat> even the, the mental or emotional wear and tear on ha- having, you having to really pause and craft that. Oh, very carefully. You know? Very careful. Whereas a you know a male or in, in a lot of instances will just we just talk. Yeah, you just talk. You have There's no ramifications. Talk. There's no fear of yeah. of blowback. So I, I I just became really attuned to that and and I learned a lot from them in in that regard. That's um, beautiful. Yeah, I'm so thankful you had her. Yeah. To describe what it's like to be, uh, what what all goes on for a woman. Yep. With leadership. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I'm confused yeah. still Yeah. <laughs> when I read like, I mean, like I just read the Old Testament like literature, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's this beautiful, it's literature. It's some of the finest literature yeah. and I love literature. So I love it. Yeah. And, um, when I read like the story of Deborah, mm-hmm. like there's a man who I love that story. Who's saying to her, I won't go to war without you. Uh-huh. And she said, you know, the w- the women are going to get the credit. He's um, like, that's one of the most gangster phrases gangster. in the whole Bible. Where right? She she basically says, paraphrasing, she basically says, I'll go with you. But yeah. if I go, yeah. this war will be won at the hands of a woman. That's right. And I'm like, oh, snap. <laughs> snap. And, and it really was the hand of jail, right? Yeah. It wasn't even Deborah. No, she drove a tent peg through that dude's head. Exactly. It was amazing. I, I mean, the guts. I preached a sermon on that at a women's conference one wow. time. Yeah. Well, you know, I love that story. The word for woman is my understanding is Azer, and Azer is a word is means warrior. Mm. And I wonder if, like, what if we saw women as warriors? We're going to war without warriors. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what if it's like, oh my gosh. She'll have my back. Yeah. And I'm like, yep. there are times where I'm like, 
I fight for my husband, my sons, my the men in my groups. I'm like, I'll fight for you. Yep. I might fight with you right now. Women are fiery, man. You get some women fighting for you. You're in good. You're in good shape. Exactly. This girl sitting behind me, man. She She'll pray. Right. She can pray the paint off the walls. And exactly. I, I need that in my life. It, isn't you know? it? Isn't it the truth? Yeah, we're a team. Can you imagine not having her? No. Having your back. All right. And I'm like, Kyle, what if we? What if there could be mm -hmm. a shift? Yep. How much better? I mean, I remember when Ron and I were raising our four sons, and sometimes we'd have to call timeout. Mm. We'd take each other back to our bedroom to kind of duke, you know, mm -hmm. duke out our parenting differences. Mm, not in front of the kids. Not, yeah. Nah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we'd duke some things out in front of the kids to show them how you resolve conflict. Healthy conflict. Yeah, yeah but good. not when it was about one of them. Mm -hmm. So we'd go back in the room, and I'd say, dude... You are being so hard on him. Mm. And he'd say, and you are being so soft on him. Mm -hmm. And if our goal is to raise a man, mm. yep. then you need to stop coddling him. Yep. And I'd have to say, God, you're right. <laughs> and then sometimes I'd say, you are being completely unfair. Mm -hmm. And he'd have to say, you're right. You're right, yep. And so, but you know. That's great. I think that together, mm -hmm. we raised some pretty great sons. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't have done that by himself. No, you balance each other out. And I couldn't have done that by myself. Yep. And imagine if that truly is the picture that God wants of man and woman. I mean, if man's the image of God and woman's the image of God. Yeah. And that woman wasn't created to complete man. There wasn't anything wrong with man. Yeah. He's lonely. Yep. You know, I mean, it's like... You know, she's the North Pole to his South Pole. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're more complete when we can see the compass. Yeah. Right. Well, we don't, we don't give women, this is another thing that Rhonda used to always talk to me about that I thought was brilliant, is she goes, she goes, I know that most people don't think women can preach or they don't think women can lead or they don't think women can do whatever. Yeah. She said, but the reason that most women can't is because they've never been given reps I, to try. Oh, I know. She said, she, and this is so true, so true. She says, even if a pastor says, you know what, we're going to give it a shot. Yeah. We're going to throw Sally up on the stage and let her preach this weekend. Yeah. And they throw her up there and let her preach, and she train wrecks it. Oh, yeah. To them, they're like, see? Yeah. Women can't preach. But the problem is, is we let every guy preach in youth, and then they preach in young adults, and yeah. then they preach yeah. on Wednesday night, and then they make it to the stage on Sunday. See, he's good. Right. And she goes, she goes, it's not our fault. We're, nobody's given us reps. Nobody's trained us. And you can't, like, nobody's given us a shot. That's now, right. She said, well, I take that back. She said, it's not about giving somebody a shot. It's yeah. about giving someone enough reps yeah. so that when they get the shot, yeah. they don't train wreck it. Yeah. And uh, well, I think that's so true. Another thing I see is that women who do preach or speak quite a bit can become men. In their presentations. Because they're trying to mimic what everyone likes? Well, they've been told, here's the formula. Uh, you know, intro, three points, yep. and an exit, yep. you know, closing. Yep. And I'm like, interesting. God? Just be you. I think you call me to be a woman. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to get up and talk, I'm talking like a freaking woman. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to become a mini-man. Because yep. then I'm taking away my... Amago Dia, how I represent, mm -hmm. yep. how I bring the unique flavor of God to the world. Yep. 
And I do that through the lens of a female and my feminine self. Absolutely. And so if I become a man in order to succeed, I'm losing my soul. Yep. It's not worth it. I'm not doing I it. I did a, I did a, um, <laughs> this summer I got to preach a, a teach a class at TKU. It was at Oxford, but it was a TKU class in Oxford and it was about preaching. Yeah. And somebody asked the question, what's the number one most important thing about preaching? And it was, it's not even close for me. It's, be you. Yeah. Like there's nothing amazing. that bothers me more Yeah, than like, if you watch enough preaching, I could watch a preacher and tell you who he listens to yeah. or she, who she right. listens to. I'm like, right. you listen to Judith Smith. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You listen to, and you listen to, yeah. you're, you're a Stephen Furtick guy. I can yeah. tell. Yeah. Cause they try to mimic. Yes. And man, there's nothing that bothers me more, but the same is true with women. Just be you. Stop be trying to, don't uh-huh. try to be the model of, whatever your hero is or whatever the, the culture says you need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've gotten there. I mean, yeah. I love getting older because, you know, you kind of get to grow into yourself eventually. Yeah. And you kind of stop giving up. You stop giving a crap. You, you totally stop giving a you shit. Just, you just do. <laughs> it's so true. You just do. You'd like, it's so true. I'm 67. I'm over yeah. it. What like, are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? If you don't do? like me, too bad. One of my favorite sayings I say to people, <laughs> Michelle, can tell you is I am married with children. There's nothing you can do to me. That's right. <laughs> I've got everything I need, man. That's right. I've got a mortgage. That's right. You can't hurt me. <laughs> well, isn't it great when we can can uh, keep growing our resilience? It's good for a couple people pleasers like us ah, when no, we can oh, do that. I've had to really grow myself up. <laughs> me too. This, last week I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disappoint two people. I told them I would come to something, but my yes is not being an honest yes. My answer, My honest answer is a no. So I'm going to call him back and disappoint him and say I'm not coming. Are you saying that before the week started, you intentionally said, I'm going to disappoint two people this week? That's brilliant. And then I did it. And it felt so freaking good. (laughs) I'm like, yes, Nancy. I celebrated me. I'm like, I failed two people. I disappointed two people. I broke my word. That's such a good idea. Right? Like, I'm a person of my word. You know, we can get all high and mighty about all that. And I'm like, I wonder if there's something about that real strong correction. So, so do you know who Steve Cuss is? Uh, Yeah, I've heard the name. He wrote a book called um, uh, Leading. I've read it. Yes. Anxiety. I don't know what it is. Your listeners are like, shut up, John. You don't know what this is. No, I love that guy. Um, He's got the coolest accent. Leadership anxiety. Yes. Something like that. So I've had him come teach new stuff for the teams at the church and the university. Oh. But he tells this story in his book or at some point where he he had a major people pleaser problem. Yeah. And a part of it was to his congregation. And he always felt like he had to preach the perfect sermon every single week. And he would drive himself crazy Uh trying to be perfectionist. And so his counselor or he decided, kind of similar to what you just said. Yeah. His counselor told him to go and preach the worst sermon he's ever preached. Nothing makes sense. The verses don't even match up with the points. The points don't, they make like, no, oh. the, the sermon makes no sense. I love it. And he said, and, and I want you to, to walk off that stage like you just preached the best sermon you've ever preached. Mm. And don't make excuses. Don't tell anybody you did it on purpose. You just walk off the stage like I just nailed it. I nailed it. And he did it. And he said yes. it was the hardest thing he's ever done in his life. Oh. But he said that that was part of the, yeah. Well, I'm just saying, I wonder if there's something to that. There is. Like for you, you're like, I'm going dis- to disappoint two people this week. Yeah. Yeah. Is there psychology to that? Is Th- there something to that? There really is. Like, mm. like we can get hung up in these ideas that are not helpful. Interesting. You know, like if, well, I'm a person of my word. And I'm like, no, I'm going to 
not be a person of my word two hmm. times this week. Interesting. I said I'd go, and now I'm not. I'm not going to go. Cause Ugh, I, that makes me like I know. cringe just thinking about I it. I know. Like for me, it's being on time. If you're, I'm going to be late on purpose, I'd be like, mm mm. Uh huh. I know, right? And it's just cringe. sit and feel all the anxiety. Oof. Right? Like before I made the calls, I had to sit and like, okay, let's sit with your anxiety, Nancy. Because mm. this is really anxiety driven. Mm hmm. It is. And here's what, I, here's what I think anxiety is like, it spreads like the flu. Mm hmm. And so if you have an anxious leader, Mm-hmm. Beneath you, everybody's going to be anxious. Yeah, it's contagious. Right? Yeah. Like there used to be this this woman who would feel obligated to speak, and she hated it. It was horrible. God mm. bless her. I'm like, you shouldn't torment yourself this mm-hmm. way. And and my daughter-in-law, like we're at something where she's speaking at, and my daughter-in-law, when she's done, she goes, Oh God, thank God she's thank done. Thank God that's over. I am sweating. I feel so anxious for her. For her. Right. You know, and I'm like, anxiety spreads. So if if mm. leaders are leading with anxiety. Their whole organization is anxious. Oh, my word. Yep. And anxious people aren't creative. Yep. We aren't. They're we're, robots. We're so shut down. Yep. We lose all of our humanity when we're anxious. Yep. I'd heard a story recently of a therapist who was working with a couple and, um, you know, like he was, I think he was a president of a huge university, mm-hmm. very successful black man, yeah, very successful, highly esteemed mm-hmm. out in the world. And then he'd come home and he'd kind of act like a baby. Mm. And his wife is like, man up. I, <laughs> I don't get it. Like out in the world, he is like a superhero mm. and like the most incredible, competent, successful classic black man mm-hmm. you can imagine. Yeah. And then he comes home and he's like this baby and he lays on the couch and he moans and groans and feels sorry for himself. And she said, I'm done. <laughs> and the therapist said to him, okay, I've got an assignment for you. I want you to go to the most prestigious steakhouse in Washington, D.C., where he's well known. And I want you to order an enchilada. <laughs> And and the guy said, oh, they don't have enchiladas at the steakhouse I go to. Exactly. And he goes, exactly. <laughs> and he said, and I want you to get obnoxious about it until they kick, ask you to leave because you are so obnoxious. <laughs> and then when you get kicked out, I want your family and friends to be on the outside celebrating you and cheering you on. Wow. And he did it. Did he really? He did it. And he said, man... That just shifted everything. Something for me. about swinging the pendulum so far to the other side. So far. That's like cleanses your soul somehow. It, it, it does. It's interesting. Like we got to get some of this stuff just up and out. And, you mm. know, if they say you're in a double bind, just don't do what you always do. Mm. Do something else. Is my wife taking notes behind me right now? Because <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get home and she's going to be like, okay, babe, this is what we're going to do today. You're going to do this and you're going to disappoint <laughs> this person and you're going to cuss this person out and then you're going to do this and you're going to do this. <laughs> right? Right? I love that idea because we get in these human double binds all the time. Yeah, we do. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. I get it. I feel like I get in those all the time. Oh, especially if you're trying to please. Yeah. And then if you're like, wait a minute, I'm not going to do one of my typical moves. I'm going to do something different Hmm. just to shake my own brain up. It's fascinating. You know? And and, 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 uh, terrifying at the same time. Right? (laughs) 
I know. And and so yeah, it's it's been I've really been like working on this saboteur of the pleaser mm. and calming it. And one of the best things that's helped the most first calm my nervous system. Mm. Because if I'm anxious, yeah, I naturally go to pleasing. So I so for five years I was the president of the Kings and pastored Victory Church. Yeah. And we did well. Our marriage did well during that. Our kids, God, you know, protected our kids. My, you know, I was very disciplined about Fridays or Sabbath. I'm coming home at five. We we had a routine, right? Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. But I didn't realize, so I stepped down from the Kings um, into June. July and August, um, I didn't realize how fast I had been moving. Mm. My pace and, and it was manageable. We were doing it, and it was working. And and I think I think that there was even a little bit of pride in me that like, see, yeah. I can do this. Yeah. And and we did, and we crushed it. Yeah. And the church did well. The university did well. Our marriage did well. Everything went well. Yeah. But I'm not sure my soul did. I was okay. Yeah. I had a great relationship with the Lord. But I what I found is J- July in particular. We went to Hawaii, which was great. That kept me busy. When we got back, I realized most of my day was filled with, I'm supposed to be doing something right now. Mm-hmm. Like I almost had an anxious yes. heart. Yes. Because I was so used to my calendar being boom, 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 boom. You know, I had two assistants, and they're like, you need to be here this day and here this day, and poking their head in my office, hey, your next appointment's here. This person needs to leave. And I just like boom, 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 boom. And then all of a sudden, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm laying in my pool at home. Like, yeah. is this allowed? Am I cheating? Is this mm-hmm. is this okay? Mm-hmm. And I had, like, anxiousness from it. Absolutely. Because I was so used to perform, perform, <laughs> perform, achieve, achieve, mm-hmm. achieve. And then I went into this mode of, man, I think this is how I'm supposed to live, mm-hmm. but this is so uncomfortable for me. That yeah. it took me a really, and I think I'm still trying to get used to that, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's also simultaneously amazing. I'm like, this is amazing. Isn't it? <laughs> Man, I hear you. Because, you know, I had this accident a year ago. Yeah. Had surgery, and um, my OT said I had to spend four hours a day in OT. And so he's like, you got you four hours. Yeah, you cannot work the way you work because I'm the same way. Yep. <laughs> you know, you're an Enneagram eight. I'm a seven. Yep. We got a lot of energy. Yep. I'm ready like to go. Seven and eights. We wake up feeling like I'm a racehorse. Somebody opened the gate and let me go. It's so funny you use that because I've used that analogy. <laughs> <racehorse. You have. laughs> yeah. And I hate it when I feel like I'm stuck. I do too. In the gate. <laughs> Don't put me in a <laughs> corral because I'm meant to run. <laughs> right. <laughs> I I am too. And, you know, so, um, so yeah, I could do the same pace as you. It's funny. My counselor told me one time, and it helped me a lot because like, I don't rest well. No, I don't, I don't do rest very well. Yeah. And Michelle gets mad at me sometimes because I don't rest well sometimes, um, during the day. And my counselor told me one time, he said, well, it's because you're a racehorse. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, there's lots of different kinds of horses. There are horses that are show horses yeah, yeah. just for their looks and they prance around. Yeah. There's yeah, leaders gorgeous. that are work horses that are meant to pull heavy loads. Yeah. And there's ra- horses that are race horses. Yeah. 
And he said, and racehorses are meant to run. Yeah. You shouldn't feel guilty. That's what you were built to do is yeah. to run. Yeah. And he said, a racehorse, even after race day, they run. Mm. Even the day after the Kentucky Derby, the very next morning, they run them because mm-hmm. they're built to run. Yeah. He said, and I'm, I'm interested to see what your perspective is on this. Um, I feel like I should be laying on the couch. I'm getting free counseling here. <laughs> um, he said, so even on your days off, it's okay to run. Yeah. But like when go on vacation, right? Yeah. He would say, get up before your kids are up. Write something. Express yourself. Do mm-hmm. something creative. Mm-hmm. You love to write. You love to produce content. So get up early and take a trip around the lap, oh, a, yeah. a lap around the, the you know, the yeah. corral. Yeah. And then, and then, and, and it, it worked for me. I would get up, I would take one lap around the corral, mm-hmm. and then when the family's up, I feel like I've gotten, gotten some dopamine hit of, of some kind, and now I'm ready to relax. I'm yeah. good, yeah. I'm chill. Yeah. From, you know, if I get up from seven to eight, uh-huh. write something, create something, yeah. and then from eight o'clock on, I'm good, I can rest. That's, is that weird? No, that's beautiful. I I do the same thing. I mm. get up every morning and I write, I just buy like dozens of legal pads and then I write three morning pages every morning. Three? Uh-huh. That's amazing. Yeah, and one's usually like, you know, like I, I, do, I, I do whatever I need to do. If I need to do some pitching and moaning, I do some pitching mm-hmm. and moaning. You know yeah. I mean? And then... You know, the last page is usually, unless I've gotten carried away, mm-hmm. is like, okay, God, do you have anything you want to say? You know, mm. any, anything you want to you yep. kind of instruct me on? Yep, correct me, yeah, correct encourage me. me. Yep. Yep. Yep, do your, do your mojo on me because mm-hmm. I need it. And, um, man, that, like, calms me. Because mm. part of my racehorse is my mind. Yeah, you know, me like, too. It just... It it can just it doesn't stop go yeah you know and so riding you're right it's like it is that race around the corral I love that I never thought about that yeah I feel I feel like sometimes I think it's good sometimes I'm you know I feel like it's the the needle in my arm in the morning is it yeah. bad that I need this dopamine hit in the yeah. in the mornings to produce content or to do something productive so that I can relax yeah so some days I'm like is this just a, is this, Lord, is this a coping mechanism yeah. or do I really need this? I don't know. I wrestle back and forth with it, but I know that it works. Yeah. But sometimes I wonder, I'm like, is this my drug addiction? Like, is this my, well, <laughs> is this my needle in the arm? Is this my snort the line so I can right, do my day? Right. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think it is. And I realized like for me to slow down did feel really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one thing my dad would say to us kids is I'm going to teach you damn kids how to work, mm. you know? And so it was kind of like, that's the one thing. Yep. And I know how to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so yeah. I had to start going, yeah, is there more to me than that? though? Yeah. And how much have I put there that doesn't belong there? Yep. And I've had this thought this year, I don't know, and I could be wrong, that I think all of, maybe all of us have been working too hard Mm -hmm. and that God wants us to spend more time delighting and less time grinding. Grinding. 
I, you know, I can, I had a friend who's born the same year as me and he called me and said, well, his 56ers are grinders. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be a grinder anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to liberate myself from that. Yep. But I really want to. And then I had this accident. It was just such a blessing. Force, I'll make you lie down in green pastures. And that's <laughs> usually how it works for me. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, so I think a big key to that, though, is what you said a while ago. You said, all right, I'll write three legal pads. And yeah. then I say, Lord, is there anything in me? Yeah. Like it's David saying, examine my heart, Lord. Yeah. So so I've got this, I had this picture in my office at TKU that, that I really, it really encouraged me, helped me, prodded me along. And I still love it. It's a beautiful picture. Um, and it's this picture, a snapshot of a picture that was taken in the in the late 1800s um, in a mining cave in pitch dark. You can't see. And there was a, f- a flash of some kind where they were able to take this picture, maybe in the early 1900s. I'd have to look through the inscription. And it's a horse. It's a, it's a workhorse. Mm-hmm. And he's got chains all over him. And he's pulling. He's pulling. You can't see what he's pulling, but he's pulling something out of the mine. Mm-hmm. And the inscription says, like, um, this picture was taken, and, and you can see this horse, and he's up, like his hooves aren't even on the ground. He's up on the tippy toes of his hooves, and wow. you can just, he's pulling with all of his might. Wow. And and the inscription reads, pull it one more mile. Mm. And that, I would read that, and it would just inspire <laughs> me. I can pull this thing one more mile. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I loved it, and it, you know, and I still love it. And at the same time, I wore this necklace around for for almost five years. Uh-huh. I got I went to Israel, and we had this. Um, I bought one of the the mite, like a widow's mite, oh, you know. And yeah. it was an actual one from from the Bible times, and it was, yeah. in, it was encapsulated, and it was. I would wear it on my necklace. I would wear it on, I wear it on my neck, and I would think of the scripture. Um, she gave it. She gave everything she had. Mm. And and every time I would look at it, I didn't take that thing off for five years. Mm-hmm. Never took it off. And every time I look at myself in the mirror, I would say to myself, I'm going to give everything I got. Wow. And. Uh, that brings up emotion. For it you. does. What are you feeling? I feel, I felt like that. I feel in. I, uh, stop counseling me. I'm, just I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I love it. <laughs> no, it's great. No, it's really good. It's a really great question. I think it makes me feel. Um, proud like I, yeah. I, I did that. Yeah. My family. Yeah, we know that God called us here. We mm-hmm. know that God called me to TKU. Yeah, and it was a grind for five years. Yeah. and the last two years was a real grind. And we just wanted to go back to Oklahoma. Oh, I bet. So it helped me get through that. But then around about February or March, I was looking at the mirror one day, and I I was kind of giving myself my little pep talk again. I'm gonna give it everything I got. And the Lord said, take that off. Mm. I want you to take that necklace off. Wow, John. And so I took it off. I didn't even really know what that meant. Yeah. Now I do. Mm. And what I felt like the Lord was saying, in the next season, I don't need you to give it all you got. Mm. I, don't, I don't need you to. Yeah. I don't need you to pull it one more mile. Wow. That the next season, I'm going to do it for you. And and I don't think it was a rebuke. I think he was proud of me. Yeah. I think he was he was happy that I stepped up and did what we did and my family did what we did. Yeah. But yeah. it was so encouraging to me. And I, I say that to say I think that's the key, right, is that we have those moments as leaders. Yeah. Whether we're a workhorse or a show horse or a racehorse. Yeah. 
where we do what you did yeah. every morning. Lord, is there anything in me? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the key to all of it. And for me, it was like, okay, looking, and, and that now that necklace is laying on my dresser. Mm-hmm. I haven't touched it since then, that's and I, I don't want to wear it because I feel like the Lord is saying, this next season is not by might nor by power. It's by my spirit. Uh, so just get out of my way. You know, Man, that's what he's been saying to me. Mm. Nancy, get out of the way. That's so good. And will you say yes when I'm, even if you're uncomfortable, mm. uh, like even with some of his podcasts, like the guy yep. who's branding it, he decided he wanted to just name it the Nancy Houston podcast. So I'm like, no way. Mm. And then the Lord's like, and what I ask of you? Because, mm. you know, I thought, well, that kind of sounds egotistical. Mm-hmm. That's, that's uncomfortable. Right. Can't we name it something fun? The basement? I don't know. The living room? <laughs> Can we call it the living room? The penthouse? The, I don't know. I'll call yeah. it something the top floor. I don't right? know. Call it you something know, else. The mid floor. You know, we're mid, you know, whatever. But yeah. And, and I just felt like the Lord's like, hey. Mm. I'm asking you not to work hard. Hmm. That's but, so hard. And I think that's why he's asking us to do that. Because yeah. he knows that our tendency is to work hard. Is to grind it out. Yeah. And and the problem with that is when we do that and we are successful, then we get all the glory. Well, that's where you know we can go a little grandiose, a little yeah. high. Yeah. Like, oh, I can work hard. Maybe that's just our ego. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I've really been trying to look at where, where are the places I go high, where are the places I go low. Because those are just shame. And I want to be, I think God wants us all shame-free. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Now, we we have guilt where we do something naughty and bad, and we should. Mm -hmm. You know, but Mm -hmm. we're not walking around captives and slaves to shame. I think it was, I can't remember who it was, told me this. I think it was my campus pastors. I can't remember. We were talking about this one day, this idea of, you know, letting God, you know, not about your hard work. It's about God. Yeah. And he, he said, have you ever walked through a vineyard and seen vines, heard vines groaning <laughs> to produce fruit? Never. It's like, no. They no. just they just produce fruit. They just as, do. As long as they're connected to the vine, right? Yeah. As long as they're connected to the source. Yeah. They just produce fruit. It's what they do. And I think that that's, you know, the fruit of the Spirit for us is that right. we, we shouldn't have to strive and groan yeah. and grind and... Um, so I think that's something God's teaching me, and it's not easy. I'm I'm actually not enjoying it very much. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I want to well, take the reins. It, it's it's like it, there's got to be a detox mm-hmm. from the way we've done life. We got to be detoxing. Yeah. And when you're detoxing, it feels pretty crappy. Totally. You know, and uncomfortable. Well, you're doing something that everything it, it worked the other way. So why change it? Exactly. Everything else I've ever done is because I grinded it. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think that maybe there's been a little pride in our grinding, and and I wonder if we've made grinding a form of godliness. Mm. <laughs> and if it really isn't, yep. you know, yep. you know, all these things we can make. Well, that's God, and it's yeah. like, is it? Is patriarchy God? Right. Hmm, not sure. Right. I think we've confused. I've been obsessed with that story. I've I've been reading it over and over again. That one I preached on was. First Kings nineteen, like what was God? I can go fifty different ways on it. Like what was yeah. God doing to him? Yeah, maybe it was a detox for Elijah. Maybe, maybe it was. was a 
season that God pulled him out into the wilderness on purpose to to work on his heart or well, maybe it, Elijah overdid it. Maybe he was yeah. grinding too hard. Obviously, he was. Oh my gosh! When you think about, it, he had to. He slaughtered how many? Over a hundred prophets of Baal. He dug a ditch. He built an altar. Can he you imagine? ran up Mount Carmel? Can you ran a hundred miles to Beersheba? The, the psychological exhaustion of murdering a hundred people. Demonic, like it's not what he did is demonic. He was murdering demonic spirits. Yes. yes. Can you imagine the? The emotional wear and tear on him. One of the things I I love your message on that is so good and so healthy. And one of the things I was thinking about is how, you know, the angel baked mm-hmm. him bread on coals. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how intimate. Yep. I, I think that's what God wants to remind us is like, my love for you is so intimate and mm. so personal. Mm. And what's better than hot bread? It was already warm. You know, he, he delivers, mm. wakes him up to a warm loaf of bread. Yep. And I'm like, that is mm. an intimate God. Very intimate. He is bringing comfort. Yep. That's comfort food. Yep. Right? Amen. Warm bread Amen. is the best form of comfort food. <laughs> he probably had butter on it. Yes. And I'm like... You know, Honey butter. God, that, yeah. And I'm like, God... <laughs> You're showing him comfort. He needed comfort Kindness. because he had just been in such a fierce battle. Yeah. Emotionally and psychologically, he had nothing. Yep. And, you know, I have to remember to tell myself, I used to get pretty, I could get depressed if I was sick. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn how to help myself mm. and say, Nancy, you're tired and yep. you don't feel good. Yep. It doesn't mean the world is coming to an end. Mm. It doesn't mean everything's gone dark. It just means you need a nap. I say that to Michelle every Monday. You do? Yeah. Right. I said it this past Monday. I feel yeah. I, I feel depressed. Yeah. I feel Yeah. And I have no reason to be. So well, I always have to remind myself, it's Monday. I just preached all weekend. Yeah. I'm emotionally drained. and mentally drained. So you actually do have a reason mm-hmm. to feel down on Mondays. It's true. It's it's how you talk yourself through that. Yeah. It's that self leadership. Yeah, and from a leadership perspective, I used to always tell my assistant at TKU and the churches, I I don't want to make decisions on Mondays. No. Don't bring me any questions. No, because I'm not. I'm. It's not me making the decision. Right. So it's not. It wouldn't be a healthy decision. No. Yeah. So I I wish that all people listening, I think if we could have way more self compassion. Mm. You know, instead of we That's ask good. ourselves questions like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Like, I shouldn't feel this way. Yeah. I have no reason to feel this way. Instead of like being compassionate yeah. and just staying curious. Well, isn't that what God asked Elijah at the mouth of the cave? What are you doing here, yeah. Elijah? Like, I, I don't think that was a yell, nope. no exclamation point. Nope. It was a, Elijah, search your soul. Yeah, curiosity question. Ask your, you know. I want you to ask your own soul, yeah, what am I doing here? Why am I Yeah. Why am I in this funk? What's yeah. wrong with me? Isn't that great? Yeah. Man, how would all, all of our lives be different if we could be compassionate and curious? Yeah. 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 And we're probably just so busy that we never stop to think. Harshness never helps. Mm-hmm. But compassion always does. Yeah. Right? It's so true. Yeah. Well, um, thank you. For, oh, for being what? my thank you, no, thank you for being my guest today. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm it's a an honor. huge 
fan of the work that you and Michelle are doing and what you're planning in Grapevine. I have... You you said something about this at the beginning. Yeah. I love the way... I know we're meeting like... Is it a gym, maybe? It's like no. a performing arts center. Performing arts center. Yeah. And so you actually don't stand on a platform. You no. Stand, I have to look up. You stand on the floor and look up. You guys are intimidating. And I'm like, <laughs> well, this is different. I know. I kind of like it. I really like it. It feels intimate. And then you invite us down to the river. Uh-huh. Like, let's get in the river, people. Yeah. You know? Um, and I'm like, I've loved it because in our married life, typically it'll kind of be like, well, honey, should we go down, you know? Yeah. Nudge, nudge. Yeah. Man. I just, I think I'm tired of church, and I don't mean that. I think I'm tired of, um, so let's, I've, I've, I've done this before. Let's pretend like me, you, and Hector are billionaires. Yeah. I'm worth 10 billion. Hector's worth 20 billion. You're worth 30 billion. Okay. I like these. And we're, we're not Christians at all. We're atheists. Yeah. yeah. But, but we love money. Mm. And so we get together and we're like, you know what? We've, we've seen something happen in the world. Yeah. Let's start a church. Mm. Start a church and let's build the most beautiful building. You invest 30 million. I'll invest 10. You invest 40 million. Yeah. We're going to build the most beautiful building in the most pristine location. Mm. Wealthy area, perfect intersection, LED walls everywhere. We're going to hire the most talented, gifted worship leaders on the planet. We're going to we're going to hire a pastor that's just an amazing communicator. He can rip sermons and preach them, preach the paint off the walls. We could actually grow a massive church, mm. and God had nothing to do with it. And our God was money. God, God was God wasn't even involved at all. Mm-hmm. And the average person that came and sat in the pews would now some would some would sense it, know it, discern it. But the most Americans would just come in, sit down, absorb, yeah. consume. Yeah. I loved it. It was great. Here's my tithe. See you later. And so there's a part of me that, um, and I love the church. I'm not bashing the church. I always no. tell people they're no. deconstructing. Hey, be careful because that's the bride of Christ. Yeah, amen. So don't talk too bad about the bride of Christ. You talk about my bride, we're yeah. going to fight. yeah. Yeah. So I I don't want to bash the bride of Christ, but I but I want to be very careful yeah. that we don't become so programmed no. that the church knows what we're doing before we even do it. And so, yeah, you know, three songs, sermon, yeah. prayer, go home. Three songs, yeah. sermon, prayer, go home. And we, and so I just I drive my staff crazy because there's a lot of times that I'll take the planning center thing and I just rip it in half. I'm like, all right, we're switching it up. We're just yeah. going to do something different today. Good. So I love. I love altar calls. I love yeah, me too. The cl- I, we tr- we respectful with time. We're not going to keep people there for three hours. But yeah. if my countdown clock goes into the red, eh. yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, and the thing that's been so sweet for Ron and I is Ron has just been like he 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 kind of can't respond fast enough. Hmm. It's it's been him. Wow, more than me. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with him, but hmm. it's just so sweet to see his heart responding and something new is happening. Yeah. It's been precious. And, you know, I kind of want to take back what I just said. I said, you know, I'm a fan of what you and Michelle are building. It's not really true. Yeah. <laughs> I want to re-say this. I, I'm, I'm, 
I appreciate that it feels like you genuinely care and love for people mm -hmm. and want to lead from a healthy place. Mm -hmm. And that's what I am a fan of. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think part of that is because Michelle and I never wanted to be pastors. Like no. <laughs> it's the last thing on planet earth. Like if Michelle would have known I was going to be a pastor, she would have never married me. Yeah. And so we just didn't want to yeah. be pastors. Um, yeah. I I hear you. Like I never wanted to yeah. be a sex therapist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I never want to do a podcast. Yeah. I don't want to do. There's a lot of things I don't really want to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if the whole book of like, you know, Jonah, mm -hmm. is like, man, if God puts something in your heart and you don't speak it, I'll chase you down. Yes, I will. <laughs> and you've hurt the whole body. Yeah. Because you aren't doing what I put in your mouth to do. Yeah, it's really uh, you're good. not doing what you're put what I put in your heart to do. It's really good. And it's like, okay, God, man, we better do it. It's not. This isn't about do we like it or not. Do we want to do it or not? It's more like, God, what are you saying, and how can we attempt to align and follow you? Yeah, I had a guy when I first became lead pastor. Um, I don't want to say who it is, but I had a guy that. Um, I'll be careful I'll say it, but he, he sat right in front of me with a mediator and was talking to him, and he he put his finger in my face, and he said, you don't know what you're doing, and you're going to run that church into the ground. And I said, I said, you know, I, you're right. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And I hope I never do. Yeah. And, and yeah. one time I called about, it was probably six months in, eight months in. I was so in over my head. I never wanted to be a pastor, and all of a sudden I'm a pastor in this mega church with multiple campuses. I'd when I became the lead pastor of Victor Church, I'd preached like five times in my life, oh, ever. God. Scary, right? And I I called Craig Rochelle became a real pastor to me and friend. And I called him one day, eight months in, and I said I was crying, and I just said, "Man, I don't know what I'm doing." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was just like this confession of I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. And I was waiting for the pastor of the largest church in America in my eyes, the greatest leader, Christian leader yeah. on planet. I was waiting for like, okay, here's the three steps and here's five things and here's what you need to do. And he said the most healing thing anyone has ever said to me. He said, John, I don't, I don't either. Oh, I love that. He said, the truth is none of us have any idea what we're doing. Yay. So we're all just trying our best to advance the kingdom. Just follow the Lord, right? And that was like the most healing thing anyone ever told me. And so I end up hiring people on my leadership team that had never did what they do. Yeah. And we just became a bunch of misfits trying to figure out. <laughs> and, and there was something about that just keeps us real humble. Uh -huh. And, and uh -huh. I, I really, I hope I never really figure this out. Oh, man, me too. I think that's where pride kind of creeps I in. I think we're kind of screwed if we think we got to figure it out. I do too. So I love it. I I'm like, too. hey, this following what we sense... <laughs> Yep. God's saying and doing. Yep. <laughs> and I don't think we realize what we do to people sometimes. I, I think I mentioned this at church the other day, but when we first started the Grapevine Campus, everybody told us, everybody told me, this campus is going to explode. You're going to oh, have thousands gosh. of people coming. It's going to be unbelievable. I hope not. And they, I hope not too, but <laughs> I understand their heart. They're yeah. trying to be encouraging, sure. but what they don't realize right, right. is actually putting pressure on me. Yeah. And now if I'm not careful, if I don't guard my heart real closely, my my doer will kick in mm -hmm. to prove them right. Yeah. 
And so I've had to really guard that. You know what? No. I mean, if, yeah. if, if 100 people come or if 1,000 people come or if yeah. 10,000 people come or if no one comes and we got to shut this campus down, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's so okay. Good. It's okay, Orphan Heart. Calm down. Calm it's okay, down. Orphan Heart. Calm. Yeah. Calm down. I, yesterday, I had a, or maybe a couple of days ago, I had a, a client who's just left a mega church mm-hmm. as a pastor. Mm. And he goes, you know what? I'm thankful I was there because I'd always wanted to pastor a mega church. And he said, and now that I have, mm. man. I would be honored to pastor 50 people. Wow. I would be honored to pastor maybe 100. Wow. He said, it's, you know, it's kind of like you said, you know, it wasn't in the storm. Yep. In the wind. It wasn't in the fire. Yep. It was in the whisper. Yep. And I'm like, you know what? Mm. Maybe that's true for all of our lives. Mm. Maybe we just keep looking for the big thing and maybe peace, joy, contentment, fulfillment. <laughs> isn't found in any big thing. Mm. Maybe it's just in the quiet, restful, peaceful places yeah. where we're attempting to attune our hearts to hear his whispers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's where it's at. That's where the real real joy is. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, I I feel I my tears come up because I'm like, Lord, thank you. Because honestly... The way I run, it usually does take like an accident or sickness or something to steal me. Mm-hmm. Yep. I must be a little brat that way or something. <laughs> Difficult child. Mm-hmm. Um, forgive me, Lord. Um, and I'm like, man, I think there's been so much sweetness in mm. this season of suffering. Because mm. I'm like, oh, I am discovering that it's just in these quiet, peaceful places where God does the sweetest, most meaningful things, yep. you know? Yep. So it's probably why Paul said, I prayed three times, Doug Gummett, for him to remove that thorn, but he just kept yeah. saying no. Nope. Kept saying no. My grace. Yeah. yeah. My grace is sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. Right. It always is. Hmm. So anyway, thank you really for being my guest today. Hmm. And, um, Loved it. I like that you say, um, you don't do seri- sermon series, you do seasons. Mm-hmm. Because knowing the season we're in, I think, is half the battle. Mm-hmm. And so you're in a season where you're supposed to run hard yep. and pull that load one more mile yep. and don't give up. That's right. And don't quit. And now you're in a different season. And that was for that season. And if you're still all chained up and pulling a big old load and that's not the season you're in, yep. you're going to mess yourself up. Yep. You're going to pull some hamstrings and cause some harm. I've got that picture in a box and right. that necklace on the shelf. That's right. And there may be another season that I pull that out. But. That's right. Because it's a, it's a new season. Yeah. And so if we're not listening for the whispers, we won't know what season it is. Mm. And I want us all to know what season are you in. Yep. Right? Because yep. that's where we find peace and stillness and quiet. Mm. And, you know, racehorses run hard, but they rest hard. Mm-hmm. And sleep good. So part of learning how to do this is how do I rest hard? Yep. So I'm trying to do that in this season. Yep. So, well, listen, we we could talk about a lot of things for a long time. Yeah, so we could. 
Hector, we'll have to have John back soon. I'd be honored. This has been, yeah, for part two, and then part three. I need to have you on my podcast, too. That would be fun. Soon. Your podcast is yeah. The Releader. The Releader. The Releader. Yep. I've listened to all of them. Thank you. I have enjoyed them, and each one I'm like, oh, I needed that right now. <laughs> oh, I needed that right now. Oh, thank you. That was a, the nugget. Yeah. That is going to help me today. I'm having fun with it. Yeah, I so that. I hope you'll keep having fun with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm loving it. Good, good. Well, bless you. Thank you. Hey, friends, dear, dear friends, thank you for joining us today again. And I hope that, you know, something just spoke to your heart today and that you feel loved on and encouraged and know that, you know, if you're feeling like Elijah right now and you've out in the desert... And you're whooped and you're exhausted. You're mentally and emotionally just at your end. Then I hope you know that you have not lost God's love and he's for you. And he wants to bring you a hot loaf of bread and to comfort you and give you the rest you need and refresh you so you're ready for the season that will come next. But try to pause and enjoy the season you're in. So love you all and um, look forward to more of these conversations with you. I imagine at one time you were this brilliant little child. As we enter into adulthood, what was brilliant in childhood can actually get in the way of you living the life you want to live. Hello friends, I'm Nancy Houston. I want to help you live a better life. all emotional creatures who sometimes think. And so it's so important that we make this journey from our heads into the depths of our hearts. Welcome to The In-Between with Nancy Houston.